0: This morning's reading is taken from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. The birth of Jesus Christ. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus.
1: The words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. One of the things that makes uh, Christmas so special is that this is the season whereby we give gifts. And uh, we give gifts to everyone. At least my wife tries to give gifts to everyone. Uh, other celebrations through the year, uh, we give gifts too. Birthdays, weddings, Uh, anniversaries, christenings. But those times, gifts are given to an individual. Gifts are given to the the person whose uh, celebration uh, we're celebrating. But at Christmas, all give and all receive. It's a season of unbounded generosity. And that's fitting because we're remembering God's gift. God's gift to us, God's gift to the world, the gift of Jesus. What makes a gift a gift is that it is given. It's not bought, uh, it's not earned, it's not deserved. It is freely, freely given. And so it is with the gift of Jesus. As Isaiah prophesied, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. It doesn't just come doesn't just arrive but he is given he's a gift that's the central event of christmas and all the gift giving in a sense makes that real it's a reminder that jesus was given as jesus himself said for god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son in my office, I have a, a pile of presents, uh, gifts to be given. A lot of them have my children's name on them. Uh, don't worry, they're skillfully hidden. We've got a big uh, white sheet over them. Um, my children will never figure it out. They will never work it out. They'll never, they'll never think to look under that sheet. At least that's what I say. Uh, What do I want to happen when I give those gifts? What do do we want as a family to happen when we uh, share gifts between us? We want those gifts to be loved. We want them to be enjoyed. We want them to bring delight and pleasure. We want them to be valued. We want them to be cherished. We want them to be looked after. In our reading, we hear that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. The second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, the Word made flesh. God's most precious gift. And who will the Father entrust his son to? Who will the Father honour with the responsibility of caring for his most precious gift? A young man named Joseph. And a young woman named Mary, a carpenter from a small town and the woman he's betrothed to. Why these two? What's special about these two? Why should they be given this great honour and this great responsibility? God could quite literally have chosen anyone at any time in any place why why these two you could have placed the messiah in the home of a wealthy nobleman someone like the jewish historian josephus he lived at the same time as mary and joseph in his writing he writes of jesus and his followers at the same time he boasts of his own impeccable credentials as a historian He's a man of means, a man of influence, a man of letters. His writing can be trusted. He's a descendant from a great aristocratic and priestly Jewish family. Josephus had connections. Josephus had influence. Josephus had a platform. But God chose Joseph, not Josephus. God could have chosen adoptive parents from among Israel's spiritual elite. He could have arranged for his son to be born into a famous Sadducee family, like that of Caiaphas, the high priest, or into the home of a prominent Pharisee, like the great Rabbi Gamaliel, or his disciple Saul of Tarsus. He could have given Jesus the very best start in life. He could have been schooled in the great teaching of the rabbis. He could have had means at his disposal. But Jesus chose Joseph, not Gamaliel. He chose a poor couple without the means to secure a guest room in the inn at Bethlehem. A couple who can only offer the sacrifice of a poor, the poor, two pigeons, to celebrate the birth of Jesus. Why these two? What is it about these two? The scriptures teach us that man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. It's not the background of Mary and Joseph that's important. It's not their status that's the key thing. It's not the jobs that they do or the people they know, the profession that they keep, the towns that they're born in. It's their hearts. It's their hearts that God looks at. It's their hearts the Spirit searches. And in the hearts of Joseph and Mary, God finds the qualities He's looking for. Qualities He's looking for in all who would receive His gifts. He's looking for humility. In Proverbs, we read that God opposes the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. And Joseph is humble. He shows a real kindness to his fiancée Mary. They're betrothed to be married. In the culture of the day, that meant they were really uh, considered to be married already, but that marriage had not yet been consummated. Uh, Betrothal was a a, a greater commitment than we have uh, as engagement. It was a a more binding agreement. It didn't just mean that they had arranged to be married or they were uh, planning to be married, but it meant that they were considered to be married already, though they lived apart. From the moment of betrothal, the the bride would live in her parents' home. Uh, The husband uh, would live alone. They would be viewed as husband and wife, although they would live separately. Uh, they wouldn't be left alone together. They would always meet together in the company of relatives. The father of the bride would keep a, a watchful eye over what was going on. Betrothal would last for um, just over a year. And in that time, the woman would never be left alone with another man. And then Mary is found to be with child. What will Joseph do? In the culture of the day to preserve his honour, he's culture bound to disown her and to divorce her. Yet he does not wish to submit her to public disgrace. And so he does this quietly. There's a real humility to Joseph. There's a humility too uh, there in Mary. Angel appears to her. Tells her of uh, the her Heavenly Father's uh, plan for her. And there's that wonderful uh, response, that beautiful verse. Let it be to me according to your will. That's a huge let it be to me. In accepting the Lord's will for a life, she's accepting rumour and innuendo. She's accepting uh, stigma and all that comes with it. She's accepting the status of being pregnant whilst betrothed. She accepts it with humility. God loves humility among his people. God searches our hearts for humility. God can use people who are humble. And Mary and Joseph show themselves to have humble hearts, a humble spirit show themselves to have obedient hearts as well. They are faithful people. Four times we see the obedience of Joseph in these opening chapters of Matthew. Matthew 1, verse 20. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And Joseph is obedient. He doesn't divorce Mary uh, privately or publicly. He welcomes her into his home. He's obedient when they flee to Egypt. Chapter 2 uh, verse uh, tells the story of the, the visit of the Magi and uh, the horrors that follow that visit. And when they'd gone... At the Magi, that is, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. And we read in verse 14. He got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt. He's obedient. A new land, a new people, a new start, fleeing in the midst of the night. And then when they've been settled there for a couple of years, there comes another call to be obedient. Verse 19 of chapter 2. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So they return to Israel. And then there's another call of obedience. It's directed to withdraw to the district of Galilee and live in a town called Nazareth. There they will be safe. Joseph and Mary had no idea what they were embarking on when they said yes to God. Jesus would bring great joy into their lives, he'd bring great pain and hardship too. He bring huge disruption. God entrusts them with his son, his great gift. He bestows on them a great honor. He gives them a great responsibility. but it will not be easy. He searches their hearts and he finds humble hearts, and he finds obedient hearts. He finds loving hearts Jesus said the, the sign of a heart that is open to God is that it's a heart that loves God love the Lord your God or your heart or your soul or your mind or your strength love your neighbour as yourself Jesus said to his followers if you love me you'll obey my commands love leads to obedience obedience and we see obedience in the life of Joseph. We see God's will reveal through dreams and angels. Few of us will have that experience, but God will reveal his will to us too. Reveals his will to us through his word. God is looking for those who will have obedient hearts today, who will humble themselves and follow him today, who will honour him with their lips and their lives, and their actions. He's looking for those who will exhibit the attitude of trust the Bible calls faith. Who will be true to God. That means that all others may be turned against them. Joseph is a son of David by birth. It's his heritage. It's his tradition. But he's also a son of God by temperament. What was the key characteristic of David, King David? He was a man after God's own heart. Joseph shows himself to be that same kind of man. It's described in our reading as being righteous. He acts justly. He does the right thing. He lives life the right way in obedience to his heavenly father. He's not proud, but he's humble. The people God looks for are the people who show the values of his kingdom. So what about us? Where do we stand? How do we fit? Where are we in this uh, great equation? Perhaps you look at the story of Mary and Joseph and you think, well, I, I could never do that. They're obedient, but I'm so often disobedient. They're humble, but I'm often so full of pride. They're righteous, but I look at my life, and I can't really say that of myself. was the fifth act of obedience of Joseph, and that's an act that should give us hope. The angel said to Joseph, you shall give him the name Jesus and he will save his people from their sins. Christmas reminds us that it's not what we do for God that we're celebrating. It's what he's done for us in Christ Jesus. The gift is not what we do for him. The gift is what he has given us. The truth is, all fall short. All fall short in terms of righteousness. All fall short in terms of humility. All fall short in terms of obedience. Compare ourselves to Mary and Joseph, well that's one thing. But compare ourselves to Jesus, that's another thing entirely. Our life can never match up to his life. And nor need it. Jesus came to be a teacher, yes. Jesus came to show us how to live, yes. But Jesus came also to be a saviour. To save us when we can't live up to his teaching. To save us when we fall short of his will for us. Jesus lives a life full of obedience. And that obedience leads him to lay down his life for his friends. No one takes it from him. He lays it down. And he takes it up again in the resurrection. On the cross, he will bear the penalty of sin. On the cross, he will destroy the power of sin. Through the cross, he will cleanse his people from the shame of sin. He does it all. We just have to receive the gift. And trust in the giver. St. Paul writes of the good news of Jesus. Of his life and his death and his resurrection. Of the new life that he offers. And he says to this. Thanks be to God for his unspeakable gift. The gift of salvation. Jesus is the one who puts things right. When I was in the Philippines, I was once in a car crash. It wasn't, wasn't a serious uh, uh, car crash. It was what the, our American friends called a fender bender, if that's a phrase in the UK. It certainly is amongst our American missionary friends. Uh, I was driving along, a car cut up in front of me. I had to do a, a, an emergency stop. Uh, I managed to stop safely, um, but then there was a car coming behind. was going a little bit too fast, heard the squeal of brakes, and then he came uh, straight into the back straight into the back of our car. Jumped out of the car, had a look at our car. Our car was quite a big car. And the back of our car was, uh, all, it was all smashed in. The, the fender was well and truly bent. Uh, the car behind, not not too, much, not too much damage. Got off quite lightly, really. And uh, what you do in the Philippines They just stop by the side of the road, and you wait for the police to come, and they, uh, they take you all the way to the police station. And they sort out uh, what happens next. So we go off to the police station. And... Um, i have been driving our car. Uh, the car. The guy driving the other car was just, was just a young kid. I, I doubt he was 18 years old. And uh, he clearly, uh, clearly didn't own the car that he was driving. And so police leave me for a little time while they go off and talk to this lad. And then they, they come back. And they say to me, OK, so, um, so what do you want to do then? And I say, oh, I, I don't know. What do you mean? I say, well, you know, what, what do you want to do? And I say, well, I... I want, I want things to be put right. I, you know, I, I want things to be put right. And they say, well, we could we could charge the lad. Um, don't think he's got a license. He was borrowing his father's car. Um, if we charge him, he'll go to court. He'll lose the court case. Uh, he'll be thrown into prison. He'll be looked. He'll be locked up um you're you're a, you're a kind of um you're a, well they also call me an american you're an american or well, not but you know you're an american uh, the court will want to make an example of him you know he will be he'll be he'll be locked away is is that what you want well, i don't really want that to happen uh no i don't want that to happen i just i look i just want things to be put right i don't want that to happen okay well um we could we could take you and him to go and see his father. It was his father's car he was driving. Do you, do you want us to do that? We could drive around there? Do that now? I sp- okay, okay, we can do that. What will happen if we do that? Well, we know the family. Um, they're not a wealthy family. We could go around there, but what will happen is his father will beat him up. Um, uh, they, he'll you know um, He'll give him a hard time. The father will then feel obliged to pay you back. He'll have to borrow some money to pay you back. He won't be able to pay the money back. He'll end up in debt. He'll probably end up going to prison. Um, is that what you want to happen? Well, I, I, I don't really want that to happen, no. Um, I, just, I just want things to be put right. I just want things to be put right. I say, okay, well, we could tell him off and let him go. And tell him to get a license and promise never to drive his father's car too fast again. We could do that, can't we? Okay, all right. let's do that then. I just want things to be put right. Okay, well let's do that. So they let him go and I think, well he's not in prison and he's not been beaten up and his father's not in debt. Okay, things have been put right. No one was hurt. And then I walk outside and I see my car. And my car is still smashed in at the back. And I say to the police, who's going to pay for this? And they say, well, you have to pay for this. You'll have to pay for this. So I was the one who put things right. God's great gift is the gift of Jesus and he comes to put things right. But there's a price to be paid. There's a sacrifice to be made. That people will be set free. That people would experience grace and forgiveness. And that price is paid on his side. That sacrifice is made on his side. The gift is offered by him. This Christmas season, the lesson for us is the same lesson we hear every Christmas in the carols and in the readings and in the songs and in the celebration. God's greatest gift has entered into the world. In John's Gospel, Jesus, full of grace and truth, came into the world. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him that didn't recognize the gift when it was offered. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Lord, we thank you for All the good gifts that you give us in the scriptures you are described as the giver of gifts. We know that all good gifts around us are sent from heaven above. We thank you for the gifts of of friends and of family and of children, of parents and of loved ones. We thank you for those for whom we will give gifts this week and who will receive uh, gifts from this week. Lord, most of all we thank you what Paul writes of as that unspeakable gift the gift of Jesus and the fullness of salvation that he brings Lord help us to receive this gift again help us to live lives of humility and obedience in response to the great gift that you offer us in Jesus Christ help us to take him to our hearts and live lives worthy of him